Hey folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear Maureen O'Malley Kirshner. I whatever. I'm issue. like I have kidney stones. I'm dying. It's fine. It's I don't want to go to the hospital. I don't really want to. It's wanna, COVID, right? It's COVID. I don't want to leave my house. That and more, but first, this is such an exciting time for us because Risk is finally, finally returning to touring. On May 6th, we will be in Portland, Oregon. That's going to be one hell of a show. And then we'll be in Seattle, Washington on May 7th. On May 17th, we're in LA again at Hotel Cafe. And then on May 19th, we're back at Caveat in New York City. So you can get your tickets for any of those shows or the live streams of them at risk-show.com slash tour. And we are so looking forward to seeing you in person again. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch's sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee, plus 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com code odyssey. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Now here's the show. Hello, kids. This is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison. This is Medeski, Schofield, Martin, and Wood behind me now. Woo, like I was saying up top, this is such an important time for us because we're returning to touring. We're in Portland on May 6th. We're in Seattle on May 7th. We're right at the start of Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month. And so on Thursdays in May, we're going to be running a special series of some of our favorite Asian American stories that have been shared on the show. And we continue with our sort of experimentation and trying new things out in terms of format and editing with today's episode. This is going to be an episode of two radio-style stories. And this first one is very unique. Not the way we usually do things. Shortly after the lockdown started, when the pandemic first hit the United States, we did a little thing on Zoom that we called the Risk 
pitchathon where risk fans could come and everyone would have two minutes to pitch us the broad strokes of a story. It was a hell of a lot of fun. And one of the people there was Maureen O'Malley Kirshner. Maureen pitched this story that night that made my jaw drop. And I contacted her afterwards and said, hey, that story deserves to be a bit longer than the usual ones. And I would imagine it would take some time for you to continue processing all that happens in it. And indeed, Maureen sent us one draft and then another. We were giving notes back and forth. But at one point, Maureen sent to us a conversation that she recorded with her sister-in-law, where she thought it would just be helpful to actually be telling the story to someone else in her kitchen. The two of them having coffee together in her kitchen and reviewing the story as best they remembered it. And we thought that recording of that conversation was so interesting and dynamic in and of itself that we thought, let's just run that. We tightened it up a bit and John LaSala composed music for it. And that is what you are about to hear, a story told in conversation over a kitchen table in Salt Lake City between two good friends and sisters-in-law. And we will be very curious to hear what you think of it. And so without further ado, here is Maureen O'Malley Kirshner and her sister-in-law Elizabeth with a story we call Giving Grace. So on April 10th, 2020, on Good Friday, my husband and I were sitting out on our front porch having a glass of wine. Right when COVID hit, we were all just not knowing what was going on. We were starting to have the isolation and feeling alone, trapped. My husband, Aaron, had been teaching and they put him, moved him from in person to online and I my work had just announced that we all were working from home which was kind of scary and kind of weird and we just we didn't know what was going on I remember the day they closed out of the restaurants we went to one of our favorite places to have a drink and I remember the wait staff were, were people were like in tears because they're like, we don't know what's gonna happen. Like this is our jobs. This is what we do. And Aaron and I were like, we just need to go to this place, spend money, because we know these people and we want to support them. And that, and in some ways, that was kind of the we were losing a part of our community at that point. Yeah. So the following day on Easter Saturday, on April 11th, I had started feeling my body felt, 
we, like I was having my period. It was hurt, it was like pain, like cramps. Like I've had cramps before. Like I've had really bad cramps and it felt like that. And I was just like, you know what? I'm gonna go lay down for a bit. I'm just not feeling well. I had been bleeding, which I was like, okay, this is like a period, that's normal. I've been having my period, but it was, it was like spotting, and it was what I've been having, and I had cramps in the past. So I go upstairs, I'm just laying down, and the pain just gets intense, like it just hurts. Like it's, I've never had that pain before in my life. So I'm laying in bed, and I'm just like, like, I, I, I can't put pants on. Like, I can't, like, the pain is just so intense. So I'm like, okay, I'm just gonna poo bear it. Just wear my, just underwear, just, the, I've done that. I'm, I'm not doing, I'm not going anywhere. There's no one's, <laughs> no one's coming. And so I, I'm like, okay, maybe if I shower and maybe if I just like, so that sometimes helps when. You try to relax. Try to relax. And it seemed to dull at a time and it was like, okay, so I'm just gonna relax. I, put on a YouTube video. I was watching the Try Guys, which is the most random thing. And I actually fell asleep while watching it, which I normally don't do. Were you in the bathtub? I would, no, I was, I was, was, I was back, in bed. back in bed. And then, so at one point I felt like I had to poop, like just a massive amount of pressure. Like I had to use the bathroom. Like it was yeah. painful. Like it was like, it's. I feel like I have flashes. Like I don't fully remember what was going on at that time. And I felt kind of like outside my body. And- Were you lightheaded or? I, I did stumble at times. Like I just kind of was just in a fog and going about what was happening. Mm -hmm. And so at one point, like I had this, this liquid came out, like just liquid. Like I didn't know what it was. And this is while you were- This was when I was in the bathroom and I had just tried to use the bathroom okay and this this liquid just came out like just so cascade you're just like i guess i have i whatever so i'm like you. i have kidney stones i'm dying it's fine it's i don't want to go to the hospital i don't really it's want to right? it's COVID. i don't want to leave my house right and at one point it just became so painful like i i took a second shot which i normally don't do i don't take showers like go back to back. I don't do that unless like I'm feeling really sick or something. And Aaron and I had planned to have like get ready for the Easter dinner. We were going to get a steak and have like a nice dinner, mm -hmm. like what we could do. And he came in, he's like, wait, why are you in the shower again? I'm like, I, I just don't feel well. Just like, I'm just not feeling well. And I got out of the shower, like I turned the shower and my body, like I was just like in so much pain that I just like wanted, it was just pushing, pushing, like there was something in me, like I was just pushing. And then I'm like, okay, I'm just gonna go in the toilet. The, the shower's still on, I have a, a podcast playing and I'm just like, just pushing, pushing, pushing. And then there was just this release of just like, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I look down and there's hair in the toilet. Hair. Okay. Like, I was like, what? And I pulled this thing out. Because it, it was still connected to It you. was still connected. It was pulled it out of the toilet, and it's a baby. <laughs> I didn't know I was pregnant. I 
that previous fall, like my body, like I hadn't been feeling well, like I, I had gone off birth control and I had other things were going on and it just, things happened. But my body never really indicated that I was pregnant. There was just nothing. Even I have friends who saw me at this time, and you've seen pictures that you were like, you, no, no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, I mean, it could be, yeah. you know, adding some weight over the holidays or whatever. It, you wouldn't necessarily yeah. think about. And as I pull, pull this thing up, she starts crying. And I scream, Aaron! And he comes upstairs and... He's carrying his iPad, and he's like, what's happening? He opens the bathroom door, sees me holding a baby. On the toilet. <laughs> on the toilet, and him going, what the fuck? <laughs> and throws his iPad. And Aaron is not a small man. He's over six feet tall, you know, yeah. 200 pounds or so, like tall, Yeah, he's strong. Yeah. So Aaron, you know, throwing an iPad would have quite a impact on top of all of this. And um, I screamed, call 911. Now, it's kind of flashes at this point. Like, I don't really have a clear image of what happened. But I remember Aaron calling 911 on the phone with the dispatcher. I'm still on the toilet holding this thing. This thing that you didn't know was inside you yeah. that has caused you all this discomfort. Yeah. And he's like, the, the dispatcher's on the phone with Aaron saying, okay, I need you to cut the umbilical cord. Aaron was getting his shoelaces out of his boot to tie off the umbilical cord. And I just remember saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Like, it's these flashes. The EMTs come in, they and, and you were still on the toilet this I had gotten off the toilet. I was on my knees on our floor in our bathroom. Okay. And did you at least have like a towel? No, I didn't. No, I didn't. You were still butt naked, naked from the shower. Yeah. From being and on the. T- is the water still on? The, the water's still on. <laughs> the shower is still going. Like, there's all these. And so, and it's like, I, and the EMT comes, they, they cut the milk cord, they check me out and I and they're like, okay, we need to take you downstairs. And I stand up like, I'm naked. Can someone get me like hand me the bathrobe? <laughs> like I'm sure they weren't thinking they're like, whatever, we just gotta We just gotta get you out. Like it's <laughs> and I just stand up and I'm like So were you so once you get your bathrobe or a towel or whatever yeah. it is they got you. Yeah. Um so I thought I walked out of the bathroom and down the stairs. Aaron said no. One of the firemen carried me down the stairs and into onto the gurney. Yeah. Now, mind you, our entire neighborhood. There's fire. There's a fire truck. There's an ambulance. Like super exciting. <laughs> this is this is a short street of townhouses, right? Yes. Yeah. It, it dead ends to like the parking strip yeah. for the townhouses. Yeah. And so. Their people are, are going to be out being like, what's going on? What's yeah, happening? Yeah, and it's COVID time. Yeah, so. and everyone's like, what the hell is going on? So as we're as like we're getting in like the ambulance and everything, um, they they hand me the thing, <laughs> this this thing. Is she still screaming? She's still screaming. She's crying. She's doing what an infant should be doing, and. They get me in the, the ambulance, and the head, head fireman said, get him to Salt Lake Regional Medical. 
and they take me there, and Aaron is in the house. <laughs> There's blood everywhere <laughs> in our bathroom. He is to, in my, he's been wearing sweatpants and a t-shirt, and he's like, I can't go to the hospital looking like this. <laughs> and mind you, there's, you know, this is all unknown. So this means that yeah. you didn't have like a Pretty backpack. Good. Yeah, nothing back. You no- know, there was nothing planned. Yes. It's not like you knew you needed an overnight bag or anything. Right. There's just stuff. It's just complete chaos. Yeah, it's right? complete chaos. It would be like being in a car accident and yeah. going to the hospital. Yeah. You wouldn't have a clue right. that that yeah. would be happening. Yeah. So when we're in the when I'm in the ambulance, the one of the ambulance uh, EMTs is talking to me, mm-hmm. just trying to keep me like alert. Cl- alert. They need to do. They're trying to like make sure I'm not going into shock, make sure I'm not like doing all this stuff. And they had called ahead to the hospital saying we have a patient coming in that has given birth at home, no prenatal, no nothing. We're coming in. Right. So obviously the hospital's like shit. Like we need to right. get everything that we don't because there's nothing we have no information we know nothing right and so they wheel us in and this is also i don't have a mask on it's i don't COVID. it's covid i have no mask i'm being wheeled into a hospital i've never been to <laughs> like gurney with a gr- screaming baby with a screaming child who is just like what the fuck is going on i'm like <laughs> so had you did you deliver the placenta at home or had you not delivered it yet so it fell out while i was kneeling i don't this is when i Natural, don't yeah your body just took over yeah and just like did well, it yeah, yeah did a thing like i was just like i don't remember it they told me it happened and they did the hospital they did all the tests so presumably did they bring the placenta they brought the, the placenta to the hospital in like one of those like like nuclear waste bags. Yeah. <laughs> and like biohazmat yeah. bag. And so we get in the hospital and they wheel me into this room. It's actually a very nice room. They take the child, the baby, and put her on the in, screaming in, thing. Yeah. And put her and do her doing like tests and everything. And everything's coming back fine. She's absolutely fine. Which they're like this is crazy. This is bizarre. This is crazy. And they're also checking me out. And they're like, they're clearly, they're like, you're definitely in shock. We're probably going to need to give you something. Like, like, yeah. And we also have to sew you up because apparently I was a second degree tear, which I was just like, okay, like, awesome. Like, so, um, Aaron gets to the hospital. And he first goes to the emergency room. And he says, my wife came in with a baby. Like, <laughs> um, I'm guessing she's here. Like, <laughs> They send him up to maternity. And he gets in. And they gave him a mask and everything. And they're like, okay, we're going to take her to the nursery. And I said to him, can you go with her to the nursery? And he went with the nursery. They were checking him out and everything. And the nurse, she walked in and... He, she could see his eyes are just bugging out. He's like, what is, like, is she okay? What's happening? Like, and the nurse goes, oh, they didn't tell you. She's fine. She's absolutely fine. She's basically perfect. Like, <laughs> so she realized, she processed that, like, he didn't know anything and needed to sort of be yeah, give reassured. It, reassured, yeah. And 
So I had to try, I was like, I probably should call my parents and tell them that this happened. And yeah, <laughs> they didn't pick up the first time. So, okay. so I called my best friend from high school who I've been friends with since we were 14 years old and FaceTimer. And I'm like, so I just had a baby. And she's like, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that, that's, that's consistent with our reaction too. When, when Aaron called Ken, called your husband, and, he, and Ken comes downstairs, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, "Is everything okay?" And he's like, "They had a baby," <laughs> and I'm like, "Oh, they're pregnant." He's like, "No, they had a baby." And I'm like, "What?" <laughs> and so it was just. And like this whole thing, so all the and the nurses and everyone coming and helping. It's and a whirlwind. It was a whirlwind. But I like the thing that was really incredible was, yes, it's beginning of COVID and we don't know what's going on. If we had known, Aaron probably would not have been in the delivery room when I had the child. Right, they, because they were they were keeping the dads out of yeah. delivery rooms that yeah. early. Right. So. So finally the doctors like come in and say, okay, you probably need to get some clothes for your wife, but once you do, you cannot leave. So, so come, come prepared come, to stay. Come prepared to stay. Like you're going to be staying. And originally they were like, we're probably going to keep you for three days because mm-hmm. we just, since we don't know. And Aaron had to go back home and go get clothes. And our neighbors are like, what happened? And like one of our neighbors calls me while I'm in the hospital, like, there was a fire truck at your house. Everything okay? And you're like, I had a baby. baby. Yeah, and she had a key to our house. So if she, we have a cat, we've got puzzles. So we needed someone to go make sure the cat was <laughs> didn't escape and was okay. So we were in the hospital for two days. I had to call my boss on Easter Sunday to tell her because I had to go. I would have had to go into work the next day. Yeah, that's not gonna happen. I I had to call her. I was like, so I just had a baby. Um, didn't, didn't know this was gonna happen. Yeah, and I had just been there for about a very short time because uh, I just started working there in that fall during the fall. So it was just kind of like <laughs> very like it was very awkward. It was kind of having to call, then calling family to talk to them about this, and it was like the only way I was like I kind of have to do FaceTime with everybody because no one's gonna believe me. <laughs> well, yeah, until they hear the banshee. Yeah, yeah, until they hear the child screaming. Yeah, until they hear Talia screaming. So it was just kind of a crazy thing. And then when they got us out of the hospital. Aaron had to bring the car around, and there was a nurse that was there helping us get everything in. I'm two days post baby. My body is just like I'm wearing a fucking diaper. Like it's it's a disturbing experience, <laughs> even when you know you're going through it. So I really can't imagine what it's like when it was all a surprise. Yeah, when your yeah your body is just. It's everything's messed up. Yeah. Your hormones are just it's like, like yeah. complete crazy. Yeah. You don't know which way is up. You're yeah. like leaking and yeah. And so she helped me get Talia into the car seat, and she looks at me and goes, "Fuck it," and just gives me a big hug, because they they could do medical touching, but they're not supposed to they, be like they couldn't really be like 
giving you a hug or being kind of, I think in the sense of it was COVID and everything, but I, I think the nurses, the nurses I have to say were the most amazing people. Like these women were just incredibly kind, incredibly thoughtful. Like her saying, just going like, fuck it. And just giving me a hug was so amazing because my mom wasn't there. I didn't have any like our family, our community. There was no preparation. There was no preparation, and there was no like way to have. In even with in when COVID times, this was beginning of COVID. We didn't have. You weren't hugging. You, you weren't, weren't getting close to people. Yeah. It was six feet. Yeah, right? exactly. It was yeah, very it was, isolated. Yeah. Oh, it was incredibly isolated. And then, so Aaron and I get home, and on the door of our house, our neighbors have put welcome home, mom and dad and baby Talia. Mm-hmm. And our neighbor who had the key got our neighbors in and they cleaned our house or downstairs and they did a little bit of the bathroom and they had food, they had stuff for us. People had sent us stuff already. Like our house was already had full of like gifts. <laughs> like, baby stuff. Baby like, stuff. Just, like, yeah, just ridiculous just, amounts of yeah. baby clothing yeah. and, and it was, diapers yeah. and pack and play. Yeah, and everything you would need. Yeah, exactly. And it was just like, and that was the thing that was really kind of cool. Is yes, in the sense of we were in the COVID time, we we're in COVID times and we're isolating. There still was a sense of community in the ways of, of outside our world. Now Talia is almost two years old. A terrorist who likes to destroy things. Yeah, I mean, so 20, 20 months, right? Yeah. And she's 95th percentile in height. Yeah. So she went from being this little squeedunk yeah. to now just being ridiculously tall. And just running around and being... And climbing. Climbing. We have a, we have a climber who doesn't quite... Even when we were at the zoo, at the petting zoo, and she wanted to climb on the structures that the goats go on to get away from people. Yeah. Yeah, and that the fact that the volunteer told, had to tell her no. Yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> and she really is a joy and such a happy kid. So it's amazing that, that, she, that this is the outcome. Right. right? Yeah. It could have been. It could have been so much worse. So much worse. She's thriving. Yeah, she, she really is. She's thriving. Yeah, and it was just—it was an incredible—it was an incre- its been a crazy experience. There's been tears. There's been a lot of times of just feeling like, "What the fuck is going on?" But it also, there's always been a sense of community. There's always been a sense of friends and family that we talk to regularly. I mean, I talked to you regularly when I was. Like, I was just like, yeah. <laughs> So, thinking back through it all, like, in hindsight, are you like, maybe that was a sign I was pregnant? Yeah. Like, so you think yeah. about that? Yeah, I do. Well, the thing is, because, you know, is I have horrible acid reflux, and I take... You take meds for it. Take meds for it. And, like, I was having it, like, a lot more, and then I was also, like, taking Tums and all this stuff, but it was like, no, like, this is just my acid reflux. And it's, that was in the fall, winter of 2019. Yeah, yeah. Then you also had an improved appetite in yeah. early 2020, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. Because I remember Erin making a comment, man, she's eating great. Yeah, yeah because yes, because of the um, acid reflux, my appetite is always low. Screw- yeah, right. low and screwy. Right. So even with medication, it's still like, 
it hates me. I've just decided my body hates me. And <laughs> so the fact that you were all of a sudden eating yeah. a lot probably would have been an indicator. Right, yeah. And I guess you carried... Were you low or was it like inward? What were they saying? Well, they said, so what they said why I didn't show as much was the placenta was on the front of my abdomen and Holly was behind it. So that's why she didn't show, like it wasn't a showing thing. So it kind of kept it down her her weight and everything. So was she head first? Yeah, she was head first. Okay, that's good. Yeah. Was she sunny side up or down? So that face up or face down? So all I remember, like, it was, I just saw hair. So you, you, no idea. <laughs> no idea. I have no idea what, she, yeah. I'm like, I mean, she didn't have a bruise when she hit the toilet. Like. Well, babies bounce, <laughs> yeah. yeah, They do. There's a reason that their little bones and they're kind yeah. of bouncy and yeah. stuff is that they have to come through that traumatic experience <laughs> coming to the world. Yeah. Little did she know it'd be that more, much more exciting. I mean, the human body is an incredible thing. And they also build you for a vaginal delivery. <laughs> I remember. Which clearly did not happen at the hospital. <laughs> the fact when this was happening with the beginning of COVID, and that this was the beginning of the isolation, the beginning of how we all were feeling so, that through this experience, we gained a community in a sense of our neighborhood, which right. was in a neighborhood, we'd, we'd all, we knew each other by passing and stuff, but <laughs> we became the people that my neighbors would be like, how you doing? Like, how, do you need anything? Like, and then we also, I can't speak more highly of how awesome my neighbors are that and your work. The, my work was incredibly accommodating. I, and the fact that I work in a work setting that was, I was able to do that is incredible because there, there are some women that this would, if this happened to them, they couldn't do it. There would be nothing that they could do. I'm very aware of my privilege and my appreciative of my ability to have that sense of community. Even in one of the times of our world where we are all isolated, and there's all these other things going on in the world that we're so pulling each other apart, whether it's politics or whatever, that I had a community that came together. <laughs> and I'm very fortunate to have a little girl who is so spunky, and I know I'm going to get a phone call when she's in college and she's gotten arrested for protesting something, and I'll just be like, all right, um, so what were you protesting? She kind of came into the world with <laughs> gusto, like, <laughs> and she's still got gusto today, like. She does. She she sounds like a banshee sometimes. It's very exciting. <laughs> when you're, like, trying to get her to not eat dog food and. <laughs> it, it's, it's just special. She's so happy that she is. She's been a good baby. She's been a good baby. One thing I just keep coming, keep thinking back to is, like, how amazing the community came together for me. And I remember at the time, and I was postpartum, and I was just like out of my mind. It was very hard for me to take that, to accept, to, to accept the kindness and the help because I was so like, I no, I need to do this. I'm the mom, blah, blah, blah. And like, I think you at one point told me like, no. No, take the help, all the help you can get. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
one of my friends who was like one of my people who would call me like what what do you need like i i can drop something off on your front porch like i can do this like let me i'll ring the doorbell i'll wave to you like right right yeah like i just and then i also like remember my boss when we had our stay-at-home order she would put a bag on my handle my door <laughs> knock and walk back and I'd open the door, take it, and be, it was like, it was like a drug deal. But it was, it was the most like it's very bizarre. <laughs> yeah, yeah. People have been were just incredible, and they, from the doctors, from even the EMTs, from even the like the night nurses, and. The fact the woman just goes, fuck it, and gives me a hug. But but also in the midst of, a, you know, the beginning of a pandemic, a really scary time yeah. when our medical system was yeah. starting to crumble under the weight of what they were dealing with. So, yeah, you know, knowing that you have this sense of community and these people around you and everybody rallied. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, they probably appreciated having that. Like, like almost like a normal, like not normal. No, but it gave them something to do and focus on besides themselves. Yeah. Right? And at the beginning of the pandemic, especially, it was really scary. And yeah. you didn't know yeah. what was going on. Exactly. There was just these crazy, like, points. Then Talia coming into the world <laughs> in her blaze of glory. <laughs> But yeah, so that's Talia's birth story in a nutshell. <laughs> well, thanks for reliving it. This is Risk. This is Stevie Wonder behind me now. And we just heard from Maureen O'Malley Kirshner and her sister-in-law, Elizabeth. Maureen also said that the healing group at thehealinggroup.com was especially helpful to her in her processing the whole after giving birth experience. They do lots of different kinds of therapy and counseling there. And by the way, that is a perfect example, the story we just heard, of a Risk listener, a fan of the show, who really never thought they'd be sharing a story on the show, and pitched us, and was very coachable, very accepting of the fact that these things can take a while and you can go through a few drafts and we'll work with you and experiment even like we did with this one. So make sure to pitch us your stories at risk-show.com slash submissions. Everything you need to know is right there. 
Long story short, you send us an email, about 300 words or less, you know, about a paragraph, to pitches at risk-show.com. Make sure to tell us where in the world you are and just give us the broad strokes of what you think happens in the beginning, middle, and end of your story. Simple as that. You know, sometimes people reach out to me at kevinallison.com for one-on-one training for a particular story they're working on. A few weeks back, it was Dave and Paul from the Disturbingly Pragmatic podcast. <laughs> they are a gay couple in nearby Toronto, hilarious. And I had so much fun working with Dave on one of his stories that I also jumped on to one of the episodes of their podcast. So check it out. It's called Disturbingly Pragmatic, and I'm on the latest episode. It's completely ridiculous. Don't forget that if you'd like to do some storytelling training with a group, you know, in an online sort of group setting, you can find all of that at our sister business at thestorystudio.com. Org. Folks, if you like good old-fashioned true crime mysteries, if you like stories where you feel like you're a detective finding clues, June's Journey is the name of this new game that you can play on your iPhone or your Android. You are uncovering the mystery of June's sister's murder. It's this well-to-do family in the 1920s living in a great Gatsby-like mansion. Each scene uncovers new aspects of the story. Some parts are in New York. Some parts are in Paris. There's all kinds of objects you're finding and trying to assess whether they're meaningful or not. You collect information, filling out your own photo album, and you're keeping track of all the characters. There's romance, there's scandalous family secrets. It feels like a really fun play or movie. And I've only made it through like five scenes, but I am told you could crack the case. All you need is an internet connection and downloading on iOS or Android. So discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. 
Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Our final story on this week's episode is another one that took a lot of tender, loving care, some time for workshopping, also someone who had never done the show before, or certainly hadn't shared this story anywhere like this before. I should give a heads up, there is a sexual assault situation in this story, and we are always so honored when people come to us with such intimate and such important stories that people out there need to hear. So here now is Autumn Smith with a story we call The Truth of the Matter. Growing up, my sister was a lot more like a bonus parent to me than the classic like sister that you might share stories with or trade clothes with. My sister's eight years older than me. And that eight years kind of made her like the person that got me on and off the bus. And she's actually the person who taught me how to tie my shoes and like meet, eat my vegetables. She was very much a nurturer and a caretaker. When I was nine, one of my brothers got really sick with cancer. And literally for months, I slept in the same bed as my sister, just because it was so nurturing and comforting and so soothing during like a really scary time in our whole lives. And then she left for college when I was 10. She would actually like bring me to her college for weekends in her dorm or in her college apartment. And classic big sister would take me out to get me virgin strawberry daiquiris and we'd go shopping and she'd get me like a fancy haircut. And then the summer before my junior high school, she got married. Um, and she married a guy that was a lot like my brothers, like athletic and into sports. And he and I also had this very kind of sibling vibe and the whole like elbow each other in the ribs and pick on each other and make some good jokes. So anyhow, she gets married right before my junior in high school. And then the beginning of my junior year, her and her husband had me to their house for a weekend. And we're up late watching late night TV and doing the whole massage train thing. And my sister gets tired and goes to lay down on the couch and falls asleep. And my brother-in-law just very, like, very kindly says, oh, I'll keep massaging you. Like, why don't you lie down? So I lay down and I don't have the exact, like, moment in my head of when it went from him 
massaging me to him molesting me. But then suddenly, like, he was fondling my breasts. And he even put his hands down my pants and started to, like, tickle my clit and my vagina a little bit. And I froze solid. I didn't do anything. And it's so weird to me because I have a really clear memory as if I was on the ceiling looking down and watching him touch me. And one of the strongest emotions I can remember is curiosity. Because at 16, I was a super late bloomer. I had not kissed anyone yet, never mind be felt up. And I actually remember having the thought of, oh my God, this is what this feels like? Like, this is what my girlfriends are all in like a tizzy about? Like, how weird. And I really do not remember whether this lasted two minutes or 10, but I'm pretty positive I did not breathe the entire time. And then my sister started to wake up and he withdrew his hands. And it was almost like like snapping out of something. Like I sat up and like, what just happened? And then, oh, like it's time for bed. And we all kind of just like made nice and went upstairs and went to bed. But I couldn't sleep. So I was down the hall from them. And I remember being under the covers, staring up the ceiling. And the floodgate of emotions, because a part of me was actually scared. Like, oh my God, is he going to come in here and try to finish something? Like, is he going to, is he going to do that again? And then another part of me was so like, what did I just do? Like, what did I just allow to happen? Like, what the hell was that? Like, what did I just do? And then this part is actually, if I'm going to be really honest, it's kind of shameful to admit out loud. Again, I had never been touched and I had not even masturbated at that age. Like, I didn't know I had a clitoris. A part of you was actually aroused and kind of felt like, oh my God, like, do I want to touch myself? Like, it was such this combination of, it was too many emotions. I felt totally nauseous. Like, I didn't know which way was up. So the next day, I get up and we have breakfast and I go back to my dad's house. And then that week in school, I drink like a fish. Me and my friends in high school were definitely the partiers, um, but this was a bit much. And a bit much to the point where by Friday, my very best friend actually grabbed me between classes and there was a bathroom that only senior girls could use, like pulled me into the senior girl bathroom and is like, what the hell is going on? Uh, You have been drunk, drunk by third period every day this week. And even for us, it's a bit much. I really didn't feel like confiding her in a public bathroom in my high school. But luckily we already had plans for her to sleep over that night and that night when we were getting into bed. And I didn't even really mean to tell her. It literally just kind of spilled out of me. And then suddenly I was crying and I was shaking and I was just telling her. And she was, oh my God, this is bullshit. Like, you've got to tell your parents. Like, it was so clear to her. We're telling your parents. Like, your parents have to be told. The year before, my parents took her in for a couple months. Her family life had gotten pretty shitty. So she really just had the utmost respect for my parents. So I still kind of sat with it for another week. And it wasn't until the next weekend when I was at my mom's house that I finally told my mom. And my mom freaked out, right? Like, oh my God, what, what are you saying? Oh my goodness, I'm calling your dad immediately. She called my dad, he came over. And it was interesting because I was aware of each time I told the story of how sick I felt. 
And for some reason, having to tell it to my dad felt even worse. Like it was definitely like a type of, oh my God. And my father only had to hear it once. And he like beelined out the door, drove directly to my sister's house. My brother-in-law was home alone. My father confronted him immediately. He did not try to deny it. And apparently shortly thereafter, my sister showed up kind of surprised. Like, oh, dad, like, hey, why are you here? And my dad apparently was just like, oh, honey, your husband has something to tell you. So then the few days after that, my sister and my mom and I had like a gathering at my mom's apartment. And again, I went to one of my major coping mechanisms. Back then it was pink lemonade and grain alcohol. Had a couple of those. My sister shows up with a handwritten apology card that I wish I still had to this day because I remember looking at it and granted I was a little fuzzy, but the handwriting was so feminine. I was like, like, oh my God, like, did he even fucking write this? So anyhow, it was like a, a girl's woman powwow of, oh my God, so sorry, so sorry, so sorry. And we're going to move on. And then a couple more days of that same week, I had therapy. So my mom actually taught at my high school, which is less than awesome <laughs> in the grand scheme of things. And the year before, she had busted me for being super stoned in school and had the idea of, well, maybe I should send this child to therapy. So I was in therapy and I thought maybe I should tell my therapist the story. And I told her and she listened, but stopped me near the end and said, I need to let you know, I'm a mandated reporter and you're a minor. So I have to inform the authorities. And I didn't know what that meant at first. So I was like, oh, okay. And she's like, so here's what's gonna happen. Like DCOS is gonna get involved, Department of Child and Youth Services, and the police are gonna be notified. And then it's going to move forward from there. But she's essentially, I'm still your therapist, but other people are going to be involved from here on out. So with this whole part of it, all of a sudden my sister was, whoa, whoa, whoa. I actually want to save my marriage. I don't want my husband on the sex offender list. Can you not tell your brothers? And this is going to be way better if we keep this on the down low. And I was told multiple times, just think about how hard this is on your sister. So I went to high school in a neighboring town and it was an old mill town that had a lot of issues. So I would probably say like a third to half of my high school population definitely were involved with DCYS on some levels. And the social worker had the bright idea of meeting me at the local McDonald's, which was the after school high school hangout. It was odd and I'll never forget. So I got there first and I, I choose like the booth in the back corner. And she pulls in, in the DCYS car and comes and sits in the back with me and multiple kids. And my high school only had 400 people in it. I remember sitting there. And also I came from a air quotes, good family. So here other high school kids walking by with their big mats and supersized fries looking and being like, what is she doing with the DCYS social worker? Like what's going on here? And then for some reason, I don't know why I was actually home alone. It was actually a phone call with the police. And so police called me and did the whole, like, this is officer so-and-so, and this is regarding this case number and this thing, blah, blah, blah. And do you or do you not press charges? I did have a split moment where it felt like lightning down my spinal column, where I essentially was like, fuck this noise, I'm pressing charges. Like, oh my God. But then in like the softest voice, 
No. No, I'm not. I'm not pressing charges, officer. Thank you. And then, according to my family, like, deal done. Okay, that's all tucked under the rug now. And I didn't talk about it again. And then, near the end of my senior year of high school, my sister got pregnant. And I went into my mom's classroom between classes, slammed the door shut behind me. And I was livid. And I am being like, mom, how do we know he will not do this to his own children? And she trying to placate me like, oh, 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 honey, it's not like that. It's not like that. He won't do that. I was enraged. Like, how do you know? How can you promise me? How do you know? There is no guarantee. How is she even still having sex with this man? Like, oh, I was, I was like hell bent for leather. Like, ah, and I left her classroom. I slammed the door and I was in the hallway, like in between classes. I remember promising myself, I'm going to be in the lives of these children. Whether she has boys, girls, non-gender conforming, like I don't care, whatever babies she has, I'm going to be in their lives. And he will see me in their lives knowing that I am watching. And like, if this dude tries to pull a damn thing, I will kill him. I will kill this man if he hurts these children. So now she's pregnant. Ever since that happened, he's been at every single family gathering ever. And nobody ever asked me. Like, no, my parents, my sister never, never like, hey, are you okay with this? Like, do you feel safe? Do you want any support? It was just... I was left alone to essentially steady myself, to pass him the mashed potatoes, and be expected to hug him goodbye. So again, I just started fucking making sure I was either slightly stoned or a little bit tipsy every family gathering. And then halfway through my freshman year of college is when Mr. had her first baby, and I was true to my word. So she has three kids, and I live two states away from them, and I made it to baptisms and first communions and special person's day at elementary school. And like, I was just in their lives. And then I would have them come up to spend the week with me every summer. I just needed to be in their lives and I needed to talk to them and just know that I knew them and that I would be hip to anything going on. And I gotta say, I think they all made it out unscathed. <laughs> like they are all adults now. They're all, I'll call them emerging adults now. And they're all, like, some of the most well-adjusted, grounded, self-possessed, truly amazing human beings that I've ever met. And also, my relationship with them, because she had the first babies of her family, so it was the first time as me being an aunt. And I love being an aunt. From baptisms to college graduations to weddings, I have loved being an aunt. And I honestly think, had he not molested me, I maybe wouldn't have been such an adamant aunt. I'm never trying to do the whole, and this is why all things happen for a reason. Like, I wish that shit didn't happen, but I am really thankful that I am as close as I am to these humans and that they are as amazing as they are. And so now this really did happen like 25 years ago, maybe 30 at this point. It wasn't until I was in my early 30s. I'd actually gone through a couple of therapists that weren't super great and hadn't told them. So now I'm in my early 30s. I finally find an amazing therapist and my very best friend. 
because I still wouldn't tell the story. Like I would know somebody for years and not tell the story. I would date someone for years and tell them the story. So here I'm in therapy and my very best friend is like, you haven't told your therapist yet, have you? And I've been in therapy for like a year and a half with this woman. And I was like, mm, no. And she made me swear up and down, please promise me that you will tell her. So next week I did. And it was then that I actually heard of disassociation as being like an actual thing. <laughs> and it being like described back to me, like this sense of floating about a foot and a half above your body and never actually like feeling like actually, like I felt like life was happening about a foot and a half outside of me and nothing ever quite landed center in my body ever. And I couldn't believe this was a thing that could actually be worked with, could actually be helped. So I'm super thankful for an amazing therapist and for my best friend totally urging me on. Because now, now something that for decades was like, it's gonna make me actually cry. This like knot in the center of my body and like this twisted thing of shame and guilt and like nausea and just like, whoa. Now like that feeling is so minimal and now it really is like, hey, do you want to hear kind of a fucked up story? <laughs> and it really is a story that I can tell. I'm like, yeah, that stuff happened. I don't recommend it, but I totally survived. For this week's episode, folks, this is Patty Smith behind me now, and we just heard from Autumn Smith. That story was edited by Taj Easton. And again, we are so appreciative when people pitch us, like both of our storytellers did today. If you just go to risk-show.com/submissions, you can find out how you can pitch us your stories. And if you'd like to help us, if you'd like to support our being able to continue to produce content like this, you can find our Patreon at patreon.com risk, where you'll find all kinds of bonus content as well. And if you want to make a one-time donation, that is at paypal.me slash risk show. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Folks, don't forget to look up where Risk is appearing live next. You can always find that information at risk-show.com slash tour. If you can't make it to our May 6th show in Portland or our May 7th show in Seattle, maybe you can make it to our Los Angeles show on May 17th or our New York show on May 19th. You can always find that info at risk-show.com tour. And you can find us on our social media at Risk Show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. On Twitter and Instagram, I'm at the Kevin Allison. You can also hire me for a little cameo video, a video message to a friend or, you know, a birthday greeting, something like that, at cameo.com slash the Kevin Allison. Folks, today's the day. Take a risk. All of our debts wove with regret. On a golden string And he found the old coat Hung on a post Like a ragged wing And took as his own The sun and Unsung, joyfully whistling. I just bring out the story and they're like, she needs to be on TLC. Yeah. No, I think I should be on risk, which is better. So, yes. Yeah. <laughs>